<clears throat> I was drunk last night, dear mother. mother. <laughs> also, with my high starch collar and my high top shoes and my hair piled high up on my head, I went to lose a jolly hour on the trolley and lost my heart instead. I just got drunk. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Gretchen. And I'm Richard. Welcome to Daily Chit Chat. Join us every weekday as we talk about what's streaming, what we're loving, where we're going, and maybe some obscure references. Let's Let's chit chat! -chat. Yeah, you're the cute one. I'm the, you know, I'm 21, but playing younger, and you're the rising star of the childhood where I came from. So I'm probably jealous of you in real life. I don't know. I don't know. I'm guessing. No, she was. No, no, Richard, she wasn't. I know. I I did a little research. Um, They got along well together. They did. Uh, Today, in case you don't know those two songs, either I was drunk last night, Dear Mother, quite possibly my favorite song from any musical anywhere. Uh, or the trolley song we are talking about meet me in st louis which is a film that came out in the year 1944 mm-hmm. and it stars judy garland and margaret o'brien that's right if you are a streamer you can watch it on hbo max yeah hbo max um i also was able to dig up a youtube thing if you don't have two hours around, two hours, to sit down and watch this beautifully classic, well-filmed movie directed by Vincent Minnelli, you can listen on YouTube to the Lux Radio Theater version of Meet Me in St. Louis. It is truncated. It is coming in under an hour, and it has most of the songs included, but it does cut some out, so... Just be aware, but it's cute because it's in front of a live studio audience. It's a different feel to the movie, but it is the same feel. It's like weird. I I likened it unto they didn't have VHS tapes or, you know, a way to have a DVD or a stream to reminisce and watch their favorite movie over and over again. So sometimes they adapted these big Hollywood films to radio shows and aired them that way. That way you could listen to them at home. So that's an idea for you. And I sent that to Gretchen last night. And I was like, this is another option for people. Yes, Richard is always making sure that there are resources available to everyone. I have this on DVD as well. This is one of my favorite musicals. And uh, that's how I know. It's from the DVD extras that there's an interview with Margaret O'Brien from, I don't know, like the 90s, perhaps. And she talks about how Judy Garland, like, really was looking out for her. Basically, Judy Garland reflected on how she, as a child actor, had been, um, putting it lightly, mistreated. And so she was just kind of, like, looking out to make sure that the same thing wasn't going to happen to Margaret O'Brien, and even having conversations with her saying, like, essentially, like, if if somebody makes you feel bad or, or uncomfortable, that's not okay, and I'll help you with that. So, um, 
And yeah. Margaret O'Brien said that she didn't have that experience at all, that things had like just kind of changed, I guess, enough that um, she said she personally, as a child actor, never had any like terrible experiences. Yeah, which is great. Um, we do know the tragic story behind Judy Garland's whole career started at MGM and they did mistreat her and she had addictions because of those days in the early days of Holly Weird. Uh, but you're right, Margaret O'Brien escaped unscathed pretty much. And you're right, Judy Garland was kind of like the mama bear or the actual older sister in real life, even though they were just playing sisters in a movie. Yeah. So yeah, they played sisters of the Smith family. So Meet Me in St. Louis, it takes place over a year's time with the Smith family. So we start in the year 1903 and it's summertime. And then the film wraps up in the year 1904. And the Smith family, you got the parents, you've got their five children. Uh, you've got the grandpa and then I don't think she lives with them, but um, Katie, their housekeeper is there most of the time as well. Katie is not there. Well, I don't think she lives with them because there's like scenes when they wake up in the middle of the night and Katie's not there. Oh yeah. So she must just work there. Yeah. So uh, this film, Richard, do you know why I picked this as a Christmas film? Do you consider this a Christmas film? So I think I would. Um, I would guess that you pick it out because super fans of this movie love to watch this on Christmas Eve and start it at exactly 10, 22 and a half a second. Because if you start it at 10, 22 p.m. and half a second, apparently a Christmas proposal happens right at midnight and everything lines up correctly for the holiday season. That's what I would guess. Uh, I did not know about that. Uh, I knew about listening to Led Zeppelin and watching this, but um, <laughs> no, that's not true. Based on a true story, though. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, that's fun. And Christmas, Christmas Eve is upon us. So, you know, put that into your Christmas Eve plans. You said 1022 and half a second. Press play. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good that's a good uh, thing to try to remember. So the movie opens and don't think that because this family has a housekeeper that they're hoity toity because the film opens it's summertime and we see the mom and Katie, their housekeeper are working together in the kitchen. There's a big copper pot on the stove. They're making a big batch of ketchup. Yes. <laughs> Does was ketchup like all the rage? Were people using more? I just granted they're like a family with five kids and then three adults. So I mean they're like a family with eight people, but that was a huge copper pot of ketchup. Yeah, um, I did agree. That's a big pot of ketchup. Maybe they, yeah, maybe it was popular. Like the. They're talking about the fair coming up um, next year, but maybe the last time they had a a, a fair <laughs> that um, ketchup came out and it was all the rage. And so they couldn't afford a bottle of ketchup. They're going to have to make it all year round for the whole year. Uh, I don't know. I think people would, I mean, it's more just that they're making that much. I understand, like, we don't need to get into a conversation about 
it's just that they made yeah. so much and if they were doing a huge canning project i would totally understand people spend you know hours and hours for days on end True. going through canning but then they're stocked for the winter um we don't need to keep fixating on ketchup i just was i've always been fascinated by this one detail at the start of the film yeah it's pretty fun uh and there's like a bit of a it's kind of like a it really the ketchup can't stop talking about it the you know it's like katie's like it's too sour and then judy garland's character esther comes in and she's like it needs sweetening i mean like there's just like well, grandpa comes into the kitchen he says it's too thick he's about to dump some water into it and they're like no grandpa so i guess the ketchup is just like a good everyday yeah, activity that's a good activity everyone but the dad comes through the kitchen when they're making the ketchup mm -hmm. he needs to make a grand entrance in just a little bit yeah yeah well you know he he's away working i guess as a lawyer something about a firm he works at a firm yes I was questioning what his actual job was, but it becomes important to the plot that he works somewhere and they're going to want to um, upgrade his position. Mm -hmm. So we have Esther. She is in the middle. She's in the middle of all the five kids. And that's Judy Garland's character. And she has a crush on this boy next door, John. His How family, I, I guess, moved in. The boy next door. I guess his family moved in not too long ago. They said something about a couple weeks because give him some time to notice you, Esther. Something to that effect. Yeah. I have no clue how old Esther is. I have no clue how old John is. I don't know how old Rose, the older sister, is other than she's just a little older. Mm -hmm. And then um, Lon Jr., the oldest brother, mm -hmm. he's in college, right? He's, like, away at Yale. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, yeah. I don't know how old Esther and John are supposed to be. I'm, Maybe high school? I'm guessing high school, because I think there is a line in there um, that the age of consent has passed for Esther, meaning she's probably past 14 or 15, she also says something where it's like, I'm going to be a senior. I've waited my whole life to be a senior. So. Yeah, that's true. I remember that line too. Yeah. So maybe 16. That's a good, that's a good guess. We'll say yeah. that she's around 16. Yeah. Uh, um, Judy Garland forever playing a young, younger girl than she is. <laughs> yeah. Which it's, that's fine. Um, uh, you know i especially yeah. like well, movie musicals you don't expect the most realistic depictions of people so no and she did look very youthful in her face especially just yeah yeah and then greatly contrasted with uh so the three oldest smith children are like you know refined respectable members of st louis society and then you've got the two little ones. Um, Tootie. Tootie is Margaret O'Brien's character. And then uh, what's the other sister's name? I'm totally blanking. Anyway, they're just wild. They are wild, wild children. They uh, The parents um, losing their grip on parenting. <laughs> yes, that's true. It's when people from big families talk about like, 
the oldest child had all like these you know restrictions and rules and then by the time it gets to kid like four or five the parents are like uh just don't come home dead okay that's all i ask of you have fun bye yeah it's not a big ask but yeah which you know tootie in this movie does come home not at the brink of death but she does go out and get bumped around yeah well she's She's obsessed with death. She talks about how her dolls, one by one, are succumbing to fatal illnesses, and then she buries them in the backyard. She does. And the parents just brush it off. They're like, okay. I'm taking all my dolls with me, even the dead ones. And she uh, likes to just hang out with the man who makes ice deliveries. Yes, like in that buggy. Yeah. It's great. And <laughs> so then, uh, like, this movie covers a year, so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Finally, the famous trolley song. <gasps> yeah, my favorite song. <laughs> it's a good one. Esther is worried that yeah. John isn't going to make the trolley on time. It's like the whole their whole group of friends is going to the grounds where they are building the state uh, the world's fair yeah and i think this is a trolley that would only run once so like him missing it is a big deal he can't just get on the next trolley it's like we're all going and this is the trolley to take us i think yeah it seemed like it was a special trolley that was just going from their neighborhood to the site of the world's fair that was coming up in a couple months um, so she sings the trolley song, delightful, and uh, the the story moves forward a little bit. Now it's Halloween. Man, ev- everybody in that neighborhood, every child under the age of 12 just goes absolutely wild. Yes. I think all the parents in the neighborhood lost their grip on raising their children. Yeah, they, no child has like a discernible Halloween costume other than like ghosts and goblins, essentially. They're all wearing like old clothes from their family members. And then you either have a face with fake soot on it or you have a fake mustache or a fake beard. Mm hmm. And then, you know, there's literally a bonfire in the middle of the street that the children have put together. There's no adult supervision. They're just running rampant up and down the street. They literally are acting as if Halloween is the time they can pretend to be people without homes. They're just playing pretend. But I'm like, why? Why do you all want to run away from home and live outdoors and have a bonfire and go wild? I don't know. But then they also want to, quote unquote, kill people in the neighborhood, which thankful. I mean, could have meant actual death. But all it means to these kids is you go up to someone's door, you knock on the door and then you blow or or fling a fistful of flour into their face. Yeah. So this is like Halloween in 1903 is all about tricks. There's no treats. You just run to your neighbors. (laughs) The people that live just one or two doors down from you, you are probably going to be sent over to their home in the near future to like borrow a cup of sugar or something. 
but you just knock on the doors yeah. of your neighbors and you say, I hate you. And then you throw a little fistful of flour right in the kisser. Right in the kisser. Yeah. Too cute, right? But that's what Tootie does. I know. The yeah. big kids are, the big kids just keep saying she's too little, she's too little because she's like five. But she she gathers all of her gumption. It's a really amazing scene. The way that they shot it, the way uh, Margaret O'Brien did her performance, it really captures what it's like to be a child. And it is her street, but suddenly because it's nighttime, it's Halloween, she's on her own. The street that she knows so well does become like this kind of spooky place. And you really see her like battling within herself like, I can do it. I can do this hard thing. I can do this scary thing. That's right. But then things literally go off the rails because this is yes, this is it. <laughs> oh, Agnes, that's the other younger daughter. Um, so Tootie's like five. Agnes is probably like what nine. Yeah. So Tootie and Agnes, the two youngest children in the family, they're off like running around like banshees all over St. Louis. And then Tootie comes running in. It's uh, all the other people are still in the house. And she comes running and screaming. And they're like, Tootie, what's wrong? And she's she says, John, the neighbor next door tried to kill me. And she's all like scraped up. Yeah. And her lip is bleeding. They call the doctor. The doctor has to stitch it up. Uh, Esther is never for once thinks that like, oh, my my little sisters are like around like a bunch of wild banshees. She mm -hmm. immediately takes Tootie at her word, goes over and like punches John in she's, the face. And she's like, yeah, she immediately goes on the defensive, which is great for a sister to do, but you're right. Without doing any research, mm -hmm. you know, this is a, this is a, an execution without a trial. Basically. She's like, here's your punishment for the crime that I didn't even prove you did. Oh, and and mind you, she was smitten with this boy not five seconds before. Now wants to clobber him. But then, oh my gosh, Tootie, I can't believe you missed it. So essentially, this is what happened. Those two little girls had the idea for a prank to put a fake body, basically like some old clothes stuffed with leaves. They were going to put a fake body mm -hmm. that looked like a real person on the tracks. And then the... In their mind, it would be so hilarious if the trolley then jumped the tracks and there is carnage everywhere. And the trolley driver sees it and just, like, I guess manages to stop it. Nobody on the train is injured, which is good. But John saw everything that happened and he was trying to get the two girls to, like, hide. He was trying to hide them away so nothing bad would happen. And they got mad at him. So then they essentially like scraped and punched him and and Tootie kind of like hurt herself in that kerfuffle. Uh, the children show no remorse that their yeah. prank could have like literally killed people. They obviously did not think outside of themselves. There was no consequence to their actions in their mind. But yeah, that could have been really bad. So uh a lot of a lot of highs and lows in this movie. A lot of uh, interesting parenting choices being made. But the the reason why I brought us all here together today is the sequence that's all about Christmas. So 
the dad has accepted a job offer that will move the whole family to New York. And so it's Christmas time. They're going to, they're like, this is our last couple days mm-hmm. in St. Louis. It's our last Christmas in St. Louis. And everybody in the family, except for the dad, is really down about this. The dad's the only one who's excited. So this leads us to the debut of the song, mm-hmm. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. It was yes. written for Meet Me in St. Louis. Yeah, a lot of people may or may not know that, that this song did not exist before this film. This film introduced that Christmas carol to the masses. And now everybody covers it. Everyone sings it. It's a part of the lexicon. But this this happens a lot. Like in the musical Mame, there's a song, we need a little Christmas right this very minute. Candle or car- Candles on the window, carols in the spinet. That didn't exist before the musical Mame. Now people sing that every year. And uh, the same with Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. The, the most beautiful shot scene, Judy Garland wearing that little gold headdressy thing and Tootie in the window crying over ostensibly we think is her snowmen not being able to come to St. Louis or from St. Louis to New York with them. But really um, behind the scenes might tell us that Margaret O'Brien was imagining her, her dog dying and the waterworks happened in real life. Apparently, allegedly Vincent Manelli told her that, and he said it was because the O'Brien mother said, this is the way you're going to get her to cry. You tell her her dog's going to die or it's dead or we killed her dog. She will cry. That's what you got. And then Margaret O'Brien later in life was like, my mother would never say that. And then I was thinking, but you were five. Your mother probably did say that. So it's hard to say. But d- did you know that little tidbit? I bet you listened to the audio commentary. Yeah, I I knew that. Yeah, she really, really sobs. So, um, you know, in today's day and age, like we were talking at the top of the episode about how margaret o'brien was like yeah nobody ever like you know like did me wrong as a child actor which is great i i'm gonna say this is more a reflection on like what people thought of as um acceptable parenting practices in 1944 that that was just like across the board people were like yeah it's fine to like lie to children and say their dog is dead in order to get a good response from them i mean i'm not i'm not gonna Um, argue right i'm not gonna argue with the final result but maybe what got us there was not healthy (laughs) no that's not okay that's not okay to lie to a little girl about that i don't think we needed the tears to be that much because she i mean anybody who hasn't seen this movie she really is i mean she like goes into an ugly cry and um Mm-hmm. it's it's uh, a little too real what what i want to say though is yeah have yourself a merry little christmas has turned into this christmas classic you know anybody who likes to listen to uh christmas radio stations this time of year you probably hear different artists covering this song like five times mm-hmm. a day but this has the original right. lyrics I appreciate the original lyrics that they're a little more depressing because it was Frank Sinatra in the 60s who wanted to do this song but didn't like how down these lyrics are. And so he asked that um, the songwriter write an alternate set of lyrics 
that are a little more hopeful. Right. But the version in Meet Me in St. Louis is, is like spelling out the facts like through the years we all will be together if the fates allow um until then we're gonna have to muddle through somehow so have yourself a merry little christmas now so that's really plays into the narrative that's happening with the story that it's like look we're all sad we're leaving st louis we're moving to new york we might never see our friends again we have to leave behind this beautiful home that Mm -hmm. all of us have only ever lived in Sorry, I have another um, example of what the lyrics could have been for the movies. Because I agree with you. The lyrics. Oh, and they were more depressing yes. to begin with. And then there was like a rewrite that was like, this is like maybe a little too depressing. So this, what we have in the film is actually like the compromise version. But the point is, is that it, the original of this song is really just tapping into like, look the holidays can be tough for people you can't always be with your loved ones and 2020 is the year to listen to the original version of have yourself a merry little christmas about how you can't be with people so right i'm gonna stan the original of this agreed i agree i agree i love the the lyrics as they appear in the movie we didn't need have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. Next year we may all be living in the past. That one's a little depressing, but the perfect amount of depressing is um, if the fates allow us to be together. Until then, we have to muddle through somehow. Love it. Okay. Put a bow on it. Merry Christmas. Yeah. And it's so sad that it motivates little margaret o'brien tootie to run out into their backyard and she kills and murder all of the snow people that yeah. they've made yeah yeah she she, she does says, nobody else can have them so i have to kill them <laughs> really the sequel to this movie could have been tootie uh, the serial killer could have been but she would have been a serial killer who like dexter she would have just she would have been Dexter. She yeah. kills for a reason. She's like, you're a bad apple. You gotta go. She wouldn't just be killing people uh, willy-nilly. I'd like to think that her wanting to kill random strangers on the trolley, that's just a youthful indiscretion, but she's going to get a little older and she's going to realize that she can use this power she has for good. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a real... It's a real... Um what's it called a sympathetic uh villain so a hero villain Mm -hmm. like vigilante that's what i'm yeah yeah. um and then this movie doesn't end on christmas there's one more season but it's kind of brief the movie essentially ends on christmas morning and everybody in the family is up after midnight if you start watching meet me in st louis at 10 22 minutes and half a second that there's the proposal that like happens at midnight and it times up with that so it's like well after midnight when the dad is just like everybody wake up we're we're not gonna move to new york how can we i love st louis i mean he he basically sees like i can't do this to my family but that means like everybody in the family is like up at like what one yeah and then rose's boyfriend what's he doing he's like walking around the streets at like one in the morning because then he barges into the house and he's like 
Rose, I love you. Let's get married. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's it's so funny too because <laughs> the, their whole thing, um, Rose and her her guy, they have trouble communicating. And I love how they make fun of the telephone throughout this um, movie. How it's just terrible. Like the telephones in 1903 and 1904 were terrible. You couldn't hear a thing. And then the dad is like, "Oh, this." confounded technology i rabble rabble so it is funny that he's so direct at this point of the movie because they've had yeah he doesn't wait for her response uh like a real 1903 kind of guy he just barges in and says we will get married i love you and then he storms out thankfully she's into him she wants him back so so yeah but then they all get to go to the fair They all, I think, with the mom from Lassie. We didn't even get to talk about the mom right. from Lassie. Is in this? Oh, yes. She's an East Coast snob. Yeah. Is she June Lockhart? Is that who plays her? Yeah. 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 She's a cute. But she's not real. But she's not really an East Coast snob. Basically, Esther and Rose kind of like assume the worst of her, but then she turns out to just be as sweet as can be. And um, becomes their sister-in-law. So good thing right, they didn't course. give her that bad dance card. That would—that's the real terrible way to start things off with your future sister-in-law is give her a bad dance card. Yeah, fill it up with all the nerds and geeks. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, that's Mimi in St. Louis. Great movie, beautiful costumes, great sets. Apparently, the Meet Me in St. Louis set lasted till about 1970 it was still appearing in you mean movies the street? yeah the street oh the, the whole yeah. street yeah 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 and which was pretty common the back lot they would just put different kind of um, mm-hmm. period dressing around it for sure it's now an, it's now an apartment complex oh mgm sold off entirely that lot they didn't that, just that part of the lot yeah, yeah. Also, another fun fact, this is how Judy Garland and Vincent Minnelli met. Was um, Yeah, we buried the lead. That's how, this film. that's how we get Liza Minnelli. Liza with yeah. a Z. Liza with a Z. Not Lisa with an S. Because Lisa with an S. Not Z. And on that note, we're going to skedaddle. But we'll be back tomorrow with another classic Christmas movie. Have yourself. I'm going to go. Yes, we will. I'm going to go get drunk last night. Hopefully you won't be late for that trolley ride. Ooh. Bye. Bye.